All right, we're recording. Five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Ben and Eric's podcast, an opinion show about current movies and TV. Today's episode is a little bit of a Christmas special. We have a new Christmas movie, The Holdovers, and a classic, classic piece of television, A Charlie Brown Christmas. The Holdovers is about when a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. A Charlie Brown Christmas is about when Charlie, feeling down about the commercialism in Christmas, becomes the director for the group's holiday play. With that being said, let's get into it. Eric, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, Ben. Let's see, we're gearing up for Christmas. This is going to release on a what date? couple weeks. We're recording couple, this yep. December 5th. December 5th. So we're, we're gearing up for the holidays. <clears throat> it was good. Your parents visited this past weekend. That was fun. Yeah, that was nice of them. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm full of Dorsey, uh, visits and interaction. So yeah, you're yeah. about spent. All good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'm recording this on the day that Joe Biden is here at, uh, in Boston. He's doing some speech in downtown crossing. I don't know what about, but I do know that it's fucked up traffic royally. So, um, yeah, I think his, his popularity goes down whichever city he visits because uh, <laughs> people have to make accommodations. Yeah. As if this city's traffic couldn't get any worse. I mean, I could probably walk half a mile in 15 minutes here in the city or maybe 10. Like if I was jot, like slowly walking and uh, I bet a car would take like 20 or 30 minutes. Like it's terrible. So... With that being said, I walked here. I'm having a great day. Uh, let's get into it. So The Holdovers is a new movie. Um, do you know the date it was released? No, recently. That's okay. It's still in theaters <laughs> for people. Um, it is. It might not be over the holidays. I don't know if it's theater run is going to last that long. I just I can't, you can't tell. And it, it might be out of certain like more remote theaters. So this is a holiday movie. It's one of the first ones I think I've seen in, in theaters. Like I don't really go out and see holiday movies, but I kind of wanted like a little heartwarming story. And, um, well, I think I found it. Uh, this movie is pretty heartwarming. Uh, Paul, G <laughs> sorry, Paul Giamatti's face is just so ingrained. It's hard to like not laugh at his face like, <laughs> when I'm thinking about it. But anyways, this is like, this is the kind of movie I, I I'm not, like comparing it to but it, it's it does have like the dead poets society aesthetic of like prep school in winter um with like a bunch of boys like that's that kind of like and a, and a disgruntled teacher like i don't know it's not it, it doesn't have the same serious consequences but um this movie is like a really it's it's kind of cheery but it also it also is kind of an adult like christmas movie like there's real problems these characters go through a real growth and it just happens to happen during christmas and winter break so eric what did you think yeah it must have given you some real boston winter school vibes i mean you're literally living that life now right yes well he's been to he the movie's shot in some locations in boston like did right. you notice but that it's like yeah but it's boarding school so it's high school level kids yeah. and and it's cold and snowy mm -hmm. and cloudy and and uh, yes, desolate. 
is that all of things you're, Boston. You're city. You're in a city campus, aren't you? Yes, I'm right in yeah. the city. So what right. happens is so it's nothing like that. Then I guess it doesn't. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it it it's not at all. We don't have nearly <laughs> that kind of space. But what happens is in the dead of winter, like there'll be no snow and you'll just be freezing 8 a.m. walking to class with winds like whipping down the street because the skyscrapers create crazy wind patterns. So. So, uh, yeah, let me <clears throat> let me set it up a little bit before I give you my interpretation of the movie. But the um, and I'm going to shout out Gary again, who was over for dinner this past weekend, who said, you said you mentioned me on the podcast and I don't remember. I was like, you don't listen, dude. So I'm <laughs> testing Gary right now to see if he truly listens because his, re his request early on was um, give us a good background on the movie, like uh, a bit of an audio trailer so he understands mm. what we're talking about here. So Paul Giamatti, he's the, he's the teacher at this boarding school. A few derelict kids have to stay um, over the Christmas break because of various reasons, either because they're shitheads and their parents don't want them or um, – one of them can't travel all the way, you know, to Asia to get back to his family. So he sticks around. <clears throat> so there's like four or five kids that are sticking around with the, the, the um, cafeteria people and, and some others. And Paul Giamatti drew the short straw and is sitting back with these students, these four or five students. And mm -hmm. he's got to um, educate them, entertain them, keep them out of trouble, that kind of thing. Um, it was shot in, as you said, some Boston area, the Boston area. It's, I, I, I can I read tell you it. exactly where. Well, it's, they set at five separate schools. So there there was a few sets that they used based on exterior, interior shots that they needed. Yeah, but it wasn't like they filmed at this bookstore uh, down the street. You remember the outdoor bookstore? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've gone there a few times. Um, there were uh, – me and Caroline went – and uh, bought like a few time old timey like Time magazines and cut them out and hung some like aesthetic things on the wall on our walls of the dorm. So uh, that was fun to see. Uh, mm -hmm. Boston Common was in the um, was in the movie too, and it's like that's literally across the street from my campus. Right. So, so the first half is, is is set at sort of the this desolate boarding school, like out in the yeah. The I think it's in Connecticut. Like it's far away from Boston. Yeah. And then um, we get the we get all the boys that are there for various reasons, and <clears throat> then you know by happenstance. And this part was a bit of a surprise to me, so sorry if this is a spoiler. Skip ahead thirty seconds, but um, a few of the boys uh, depart. They go off a little bit of a tangent, and they disappear for a while. Yeah. So it, it kind of ends up with just a core group of Paul Giamatti, um, Mary. Name is Paul in the in the movie. So yeah. that's a stretch. Um, <laughs> the cook, uh, who's, who's Mary uh, lamb, Mary, her, the actress is Davine is how it's pronounced. I heard in an interview, Davine yeah. Joy Randolph, who's fantastic. And then a newcomer, Dominic Sessa plays the, uh, the, the boy who's left behind yeah. and Angus. he has never acted before. So really? Yeah. It's quite amazing. Look at his, look at his, um, his IMDb. IMDb. he's got he's got nothing yeah. in his resume so really quite amazing to be thrown into this as a um he said he was involved in 48 of the 50 days of shooting of this movie i mean he's all over this thing mm. so um yeah. yeah he's our main character he's our guy oh for sure <clears throat> so the thing i my my take on the movie is that i did love it i i, I thought that all these characters were really flawed and they were pretty unlikable in their own right. 
through the first half hour of the film. It's like, I don't know how they're ever going to get me to feel something for these people because they're all kinds of, kind of shitty and, and the boys are terrible and they're, they're um, constantly pranking or busting on each other and no one's in the right. Um, but as you go through the movie and these people live through this hardship and issues and some travel and um, some old stuff in their past that they're, that they're bringing up and sharing with their new comrades, um, you get to live a shared experience with them and you end up rooting for them. Um, and it's just a great Christmas movie. I wouldn't say it's Christmas movie in the spirit of, you know, it's a wonderful life or anything. I mean, there's not a lot of, religion baked into this thing in terms of the holiday itself. But... In, in fact, there's a lot of active activity against the religion yeah. like that the prep school teaches. Like people are bored in, in church when they're doing their last mass. Paul Giamatti's character is extremely anti-God. And um, so that's interesting for a Christmas movie. Yeah. I so like the relationships, that. they build sm slowly, they build methodically. Again, when the... When the group becomes smaller, um, you know, I guess around the middle of between yeah, act one and two, the movie. yeah, it, it it sort of threw me for a loop. It's like, ooh, I could have really enjoyed the, you know, the pranks and the interplay and the the boys just you know beating up on each other and whatnot. But then it became like, oh, there's one boy and a couple of adults, three adults. So it's like this is just gonna, you know, he's got no peers. It's gonna be weird and awkward and lessons will be taught and, you know, yada, 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 but they, they pulled it off extremely well. This is, this is done by Alexander Payne. He's the director. Mm -hmm. He did election, Matthew Broderick. He did the descendants, the George Clooney movie in okay. Hawaii. And he did sideways, which is famously Paul Giamatti and the, the wine lovers movie mm -hmm. um, that killed the Merlot market uh, single-handedly. <laughs> so wait, how um, did they do that? They just well, shit on in Merlot the movie, the Paul's character, says something like no fucking merlot at this table like no way <laughs> anything but merlot and it's otherwise they're red wine snobs but nothing yeah. merlot so yeah okay you tank. still drink merlot oh yeah yeah because <laughs> <laughs> i don't it's know not over. about wine it's not over till it's over in the drops of god episode i know nothing so um yeah so that's that's my take on this i have some other thoughts about the style of the movie and and uh some of the vibes but that was that's it in a in a nutshell i loved it yeah. Um, there were, I have a lot of notes about the night that I watched this movie. That being said, uh, the night that I watched this movie was like three weeks ago and I, I wouldn't remember them if I didn't reread my notes. So I, I did say this morning, like recalling the movie that I didn't really remember the imperfections or like the fact that it doesn't always look like the seventies, even though it's set in the seventies, like they didn't have that big of a budget. So they kind of, they they use they use this suspension of disbelief a little bit too far in my opinion three weeks ago now i don't really remember it i remember it as a like warm and fuzzy kind of like a visually uh pleasing movie with uh three main characters that all grow and change and um that's exactly what I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything else. I didn't want it to take some weird dark turn. I didn't want it to take some like strange, absurd turn. Like this is a holiday movie and it's great. Um, if I'm wondering, I'm wondering uh, your opinion on this. Do you think people are going to like start watching this movie over the holidays? Do you think it could replace like a 
Elf or a uh, Love Actually or a, hmm. a, a Christmas Story? Do you think it could become one of those movies, or do you think this is like too small, too into, a little bit too artsy, a little bit too not Christmassy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, it's it's sort of I can land on both sides of that uh, question. Um, what I what I what I really enjoyed about it, being an old person, is that it's set in 1970, the winter of 1970. And I heard an interview with Alexander Payne where the the movie begins like a seventies movie, the title cards and, you know, the the little, the little, um, the producing credits that they give to the, the studios that help fund the movie. Yeah. You know, they do these really cool graphics for those things. Usually they put in a throwback one for, for the, for these, uh, for these like focus features, for instance, um, has an old school title card. Like it could have been from 1970 and the company was founded over 20 years ago, just 20 years ago. (laughs) So they really just played with it. The entire movie was shot in four, three aspect ratio. Yeah. You did notice that the, the aspect ratio was older, right? I thought it was going to open up and go to 16, nine, like a normal letterbox or something, but it stayed grainy. It stayed old film and it stayed four, three, which was, you know, they shot it on film. I don't know, but he did say, he said, he, he said, I'm shooting a contemporary movie. And by contemporary, quote unquote, he's, he's talking about 1970. And Mm -hmm. so what occurs to him when he's thinking about shooting a 1970s movie and he thinks about old film, he thinks about old school, you know, wipes from one scene to another. That's what he put into this, you know, these, these fades and wipes that are from those movies. Mm -hmm. So, um, it felt like a throwback to me. So from that standpoint, um, I think it is kind of referenceable and it does have that feel like they, they want to put themselves, this movie, they want to put themselves into some, some, you know, uh, some old school genre, then they've done it immediately by the fact that they've shot it in this way. Yeah. So it kind of you feel nostalgic that way. Hmm? Did it make you feel nostalgic? Yeah, it did. It did. Nice. I mean, like, obviously I was, I was alive then. Yeah. I was very young. I was very young. Four years you weren't old. talking about wipes and transitions and I was not. I was talking about wipes, of... but I was wiping something else. Um now your parents were <laughs> well four years old, I think I was learning to wipe something else. Oh true. I don't know any age. I don't know any age of when kids Let's should have get a to the skill. Let's do five minutes on my potty training, shall we? <laughs> well, if it happened at four, great for you. I think that's about the right time it should have. And I think that's uh <laughs> all the time we have for potty training, actually. So <laughs> that was a good segment. So um yeah. Anyway, if they're going for some kind of uh, genre, you know, Christmas genre, then I think they may have, they have come on to something there. Uh, they, yeah. they don't, it, it was feel good enough to be a decent Christmas movie for sure. Yeah. Um, I hope it comes out on streaming before Christmas. I imagine that's their plan. They've got it in theaters now. So mm-hmm. you figure it's December 5th now as we're recording this. Two weeks from now, it'll be the height of people kind of taking some time off. I I bet that it's hit streaming. So we're gonna obviously when we post this, we'll we'll try to come up with an update about how people can see this because it's definitely something you want to cozy up with. You know, a nice cup yeah. of hot cider or a hot toddy, and and, and you want to talk about cozy up? Wait till our TV segment. That is the coziest of all cozy. Oh, but we're that, talking about the holdovers. So that's a uh, that's a pro little segue you got there, Ben. <laughs> yeah, f- uh, fifteen minutes early. Um, <laughs> yeah, this movie. I don't. I feel like I haven't seen a, a movie like this in a while, uh, especially one that takes like. I think the reason I say that, 
after you said what you said is the fact that it is so rooted in the 70s and the and not just the literal look you know any film with a big enough budget can try to replicate Mm -hmm. uh an era but still using modern cameras modern techniques and stuff like that but the style back then or like stereotypes of the style back then are definitely seen in this movie yeah so I suppose it feels older than something like I'm going to go back to this something older than dead poet society while it is 20 years younger than mm-hmm. dead poet society. So, um, yeah, people are smoking indoors. I mean, like they took yeah. every careful opportunity to make sure that they were not aging themselves out of that, that, that era, you know, with the music and the, and the behaviors, they just kept it to be a 1970. Yeah. I think it, to me, the movie wasn't all there to be like a great uh, holiday movie. I really, I, I'm to answer my own question. I don't know if it'll be, and I doubt it really will get a foothold in like the Christmas movie canon, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like uh, you could watch Elf or the Grinch, uh, or you could watch uh, a Christmas story or uh, Home Alone or Die Hard. I'm going to claim Die Hard as a Christmas movie because it is. Um, Agreed. I don't think it'll make it to that kind of thing, but I think if you are just looking for like a good, uh, like very heavily 70s aesthetic, it it does lack in some departments that I wish it didn't. Like um, there's, there's just certain things I, I, I hate to do pick apart a performance, but um, Davine, I don't really, I didn't really find her and her grief that like, um, Mm. I didn't feel like it was really, uh, shown to us. Like Mm -hmm. it was told to us that like the picture of her son kept coming back up and like, that's supposed to be sad, but the grief really wasn't there. It wasn't shown and it wasn't like, I, I didn't see it that much. And if I did, I didn't really feel anything for it. So I wish that was a little bit more hearty. Um, Paul Giamatti's character, I really like. Uh, I have a lot to say about him. I think he's hilarious as like the absolute worst teacher ever. Just mm-hmm. constantly like belittling and shit talking his students for being dumb and like boyish and failing his class. Like all of that. So his transformation in the end makes it that much more like uh it, it it pays off a lot more because his transition like uh is a lot is a lot brighter because he was such an asshole and also Paul Giamatti's face is just funny yeah i mean it's like you just see his crazy eyes in the IMDb trailer like the cover yeah the thumbnail for the IMDb trailer and it is <laughs> there's no other actor like him i don't know why he's not in more shit playing like crazy lunatics i guess he is he's just made a career out of it playing like eccentric people yeah with that face yeah he i his journey in this movie was one that he was so stiff and so by the book and so um uh just authoritative with the kids in the beginning that you thought there there's no transition for this character he's going to be a prick and maybe we'll get a glimpse of a heart in this guy but he's got none now but in the beginning, but then you get like some of his backstory, why he's at the school. It's revealed why he's teaching there. What were the conditions that got him there? Mm-hmm. You learn um, 
kind of got the screwed. The fact that he's, he's somewhat, he's somewhat trapped in this world now. Um, but he loves it and he doesn't like socializing. He doesn't like, he, he loves staying back over Christmas break with these kids just because the school is his life and he doesn't like venturing out. So the fact that he's challenged and stressed to, to try more, um, specifically by Dominic Sessa, um, in, yeah, in Angus. Sorry, yeah. Angus. Yes. Um, is, is great. And I bought it. I completely bought it. It wasn't like fish out of water stuff. It was like, he really belongs in that pair and yeah. they, they pulled each other into areas that both felt uncomfortable with. And, you know, yeah. they I were my favorite. I won't spoil it, but great payoffs, just emotional beats at the end were just solid. As we say on this show, they were completely earned and you bought it and um, it touched you. And uh, yeah, I was, I was all in. There was, I felt like it, they couldn't have perfected the, the wrap up of this movie any better. Hmm. So I have a lot to say about that. First is my favorite part of this movie is watching Angus and um, Paul bond and watching them grow and watching them put each other in situations where they have to like learn to get out of them um, to opening up to each other about certain things. And then like the ending between them is pretty good. I, did you cry? Because I felt like I should have, but I didn't. Yeah, I always I always cry at this shit, so that's yeah. easy. I don't know. I I wanted to like I was I was invested and I wanted to see the ending. I wanted there to be a payoff, but I just didn't quite feel like uh. Well, they had earned it. I just didn't quite feel like it registered the way it should have. It was missing something. Um, missing something for you. Yeah, I I I'm not sure what. I don't know. Maybe it was like. Maybe it was Angus. Maybe it was his character. I don't really want to blame the two actors because I think they gave their all. Yeah. I just don't know if it was constructed in a way where like they had a lot and a lot was taken away or they had nothing and they were given something or it didn't feel like uh, the stakes were that high. Mm. The emotional stakes, the literal stakes. So to me, like the payoff at the end was earned, but it didn't hit as hard. Because I just, I didn't, not, I didn't believe the emotional stakes, but they just weren't that high. And that's honestly not something I, I like, that's something I expect from a Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. I I don't expect a holiday movie to go above and beyond in the emotional stakes and make it really devastating or really heartwarming. Like that's a rare thing to happen. Dead Poet Society, again, it's, it's really rare for that to be like such a, well, it's not heartwarming, but it's like so tragic in its payoff. Um, that this is like, and, and I love happy endings. Like they always, like they should make you feel good. But, uh, this one, it was like, okay, I'm glad. I think why it was so effective for me is both characters almost simultaneously went from like the possibility of being trapped in the status quo and like continuing to redo their old shit so that they they don't get to advance Mm -hmm. and within five or ten minutes both of them found a way or or circumstances found a way to pressure them to take a step to be bold to try something new and to grow and it 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 could have gone either way one one of those characters could have been stuck and stagnant and not been able to to take the chance in life and but yet they both advanced and it was they did it on the backs of the other one 
right? The other one supported them in that effort. And like, boom, that it was like, if you, if you roll it into an AI formula, how do I get these two characters out of this and have, you know, the emotional beats hit, hit they did it. It worked. Whatever, whatever computer they stuck it into, into the writer's head, whatever happened, it, it was very effective. And I thought for that reason, it felt earned. It, it, it didn't feel like it was like manufactured. It, I, oh, I get it. He helped him here and he helped him here. So it made a lot of sense. And it wasn't like, come on, that's, that couldn't happen. Or that guy's making too much of a sacrifice for the other dude. No, I didn't think so. I thought it was realistic. Yeah. Um, maybe I just, I think it's my thing where it's like, something's got to happen. So whatever does happen, I expect to happen. Yeah. I think that's why I, I don't necessarily like twists, but stories that kind of unfold in a way that like, don't, they don't take a sharp right turn anywhere mm -hmm. or start going backwards, but they like gradually weave in and out of certain things. And in the end, they arrived to a conclusion. This story was kind of like, we're setting it up in the first 10, 15 minutes. And by minute 20, you know how this movie is going to end. It's going to end in one of two ways. They're going to like, well, it's really going to end in a heartwarming story. So like that part was never in doubt for me. And so I guess like, I just had to, they had to do a lot more for me to believe that like it couldn't end that way so that when it does, it, it pays off. Hold that, hold that mic there. Thank you. Cause I'm about to say something important. Okay. Um, we should do like three minutes of spoilers. Cause I have a thought on your last comment. So Go ahead. let me know when we're wrapping up and we can, we can hit a big spoiler. I think we're doing that now. Okay. I mean, I well, don't know what else we want to talk about. All right. So I'm going to do a big spoiler here. When, when um, they got back to the school and they were meeting with the headmaster dude and, and uh, mm -hmm. Angus's parents show up um, and get out of the car. Uh, I thought Angus was dead. I, th when they got out of the car, the parents looked so serious and they had, they had a sour look on their face and they were walking into this school. We hadn't seen Angus in a while and he was Wait, already pretty, he looked depressed from the session, the, the, the scene before. What and was the scene before again? It was had to do with his, his, I guess his dad and, and that whole yeah. dad with, uh, with Paul. So, that one, like I was on pins and needles until Paul saw Angus on the, the bench outside of the principal's office there. So for me, I went through a little bit of a ramp with that one right there. Mm. thinking Angus may be yeah. no more. Um, but then the meeting in the, in the principal's office there was the thing that really kind of, as I said, wrapped up everything and, and advanced both the characters in pretty unique ways. Mm -hmm. So so that might just be me. It might, it might, yeah. I think it might be only me. I don't know. I, I didn't really pick up on that. I, I knew that he was like depressed, but. Uh, I mean, he I was he was pretty unstable throughout most of the movie, right? I mean, he was the last thing he Maybe was just was normal military to school me, like, and, and, uh, and that yeah. was now a possibility for him. Yeah, I guess I just. It's one of those things like I got told that he's going to go to military school if he, if he gets uh, yeah. expelled. Like no one ever showed that. Yeah. Well, I they guess did what, say he'd and, been kicked out of like three or four schools already, and this was I know, but that's what they chance. said. Yeah, you see yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, they're they're like telling us, and it's like, well, it's a little bit like you have to tell the audience some stuff, but yeah, I I really prefer it. like it's stronger, and it really hits me harder when I'm shown that this is gonna this could happen. Yeah, that's fair. Or like, say like it it could like it could have been like 
um, his brother is in military school and he's like, his brother is scared or something like that. Like someone that he knows, like he didn't know. I, I get that in the beginning, the kid, uh, Mary Lamb's daughter, a son goes to the, and fights in Vietnam and doesn't come back. Right. And so that's supposed to be like the emotional core for her character, but then also the potential for right. Angus's character. But that was again, kind of told to us. And like, in a little bit of a strange way, like we, did you notice like we kept getting like a three second frame of like a, the picture of him, like in the middle uh, of, or like to Mary's, start a conversation? Boy. Yeah. Mary's son. Yeah. Yeah. That was just so strange to me. Like we didn't get a scene with her confronting that or with her like telling this picture how she feels or like interacting with him about, about it some way. It was kind of just like, told to us yeah so that's I true felt like there was there were times where like the movie could have uh and we visit mary's sister also and I, I didn't feel that as strongly as, I, as no. I think we were supposed to um so I, I think you're right if we got a little bit more of a backstory maybe a flashback or two with her and her son um i think that would have been valuable yeah i mean i don't know i i yeah that's just that's the so movie but you, did you, you like did you it you would recommend it i, would. I think what i rated did... it like uh three and a half or four stars uh, I'm not sure. What did you do? It's at least four. I'm. I may have talked myself into four and a half. Yeah, three and a half for me. Okay. All right. There you go. Well, the holdovers, a new Christmas movie that we think is may catch on in the Christmas season, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll be right back with a Charlie Brown Christmas special after this short break. And we're back with. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, but first, an ad read from Eric. An ad read from our favorite and only sponsor, uh, Dirty Sue Cocktail Mixers. Uh, we had the one and only Eric Tukoski, E.T., on with us last episode. And he gives the history of Dirty Sue. Uh, if you missed that episode, definitely go back and catch that. The last five, ten minutes are wonderful as he gives the history of his of his company. And um, we have launched a coupon code also. So if you use coupon code Ben and Eric, is it Ben and Eric? Just Spock? Ben and Eric. Ben and Eric. You just use Ben and Eric, you get 10% off um, at dirtysue.com. You also get free shipping, which mm -hmm. is a benefit for everybody, not just our listeners. So don't feel special about that one. <laughs> but uh, free shipping does not suck. And um, yeah, you, it's perfect time to get... Uh, premium olive juice for martinis. I'm looking at their recipes again, and there is a there is a drink called an FDR that I realize I'm going to try, which is just gin, three ounces of gin and a half ounce of Dirty Sioux olive juice. So it just hmm. says "fuck you" to the vermouth, which is interesting. Um, I like the vermouth because it kind of cuts into the gin and takes some of the volume away from a pretty pretty uh, potent liqueur, but uh, I'm, I'll give it a shot. So there's an FDR as one of the drinks on their recipes page. Yeah. So try buy some, buy some for the holidays, olive juice, buy some whiskey cherries, sit down with your family at the holidays with some dirty soup products and use our code, please. We want to show that we're actually doing something with this podcast. Ben and, and Eric, no spaces, just the words Ben and Eric jammed together. 
and uh, you get 10% off. I think that coupon only runs to the end of December. So yep. do not delay. Uh, stock order up before, on a two-pack of olive juice today. Yeah, order before December 31st to when the discount applies. Right. So, all right, ad reads over. Let's go to a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, this is just, it's wonderful. I love peanuts. Um, I mean, I've seen, like, I never saw it. Did you see it on cable? Like, did you watch peanuts? Oh, hell yeah. Every year. That was definitely oh, something. I mean, back then there was no fucking streaming. So yeah, this was, saw this, reruns. this movie, this show came out in 1965. Uh, it was a staple of course with it's a wonderful life and you know, miracle on 34th street and all those movies that you can only see one time a year. And you had to actually, you know, cozy up at the time that it was going to come on TV because there was no other way to record it mm-hmm. before VCRs. So, of course, yeah, this was uh... – now, having said that, I watched it this morning for the first time in many, many years. Yeah. So, um, Peanuts, I mean, it's just fantastic. Uh, this is – it makes me nostalgic for a time that I wasn't alive for. Um, I just love – I love the Thanksgiving special. Um, a Charlie Brown Christmas is great too. Uh, let's see. It's just, I think the nostalgia factor is so powerful that it's like clouding my judgment so terribly, but I still, you were I just mean, born like 20 minutes ago. So when you hear, when you say nostalgia, what are you talking about? I'm talking about like the old, like smooth jazz over the cartoon, the art style of the animation, the fact that they used actual children to voice the kids. Mm. Like nowadays, uh, cartoons are, I mean, they, they use either very professional children or like adult women to play like, um, uh, to play children. Right. So like in a, in a show like the boondocks, um, Regina King plays Huey and Riley and pitches her voice up and like makes them two different characters and it's done super, super well. Like she's fantastic and really, really talented. And so that makes the character, like you can do a lot more with the character. But with something like this, I noticed this time is like the authenticity of like a genuine children, like child's voice is like really sweet. It's like um, it, it, it just uh, the imperfections you can like I can at least hear now, like the imperfection of like, oh, they could probably if it was an adult, they would probably do another take so that they said that more in rhythm. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it does seem like like you can kind of hear that they're reading like a card if like a more difficult word pops up, like uh, they might like stumble or like not quite get the um, emphasis right. So that's just cute. And a little bit of like added texture to an already like super rich tapestry of this show. So I love it. And it's like, I've never seen a comic like it. The music also, I mean, one thing I realized watching on this rewatch is, is the music. I mean, it starts with a musical interlude and then obviously this is all uh, i guess it's uh schroeder is the um is he the guy who plays the piano yeah schroeder's the guy the yeah guy. it's schroeder yeah he plays the He's piano so good yeah really good oh stuff I, obviously i don't think that's the child who voices schroeder no who plays i the don't piano, think so either. but it's uh it was great i mean it, the music the music interludes for a 25 minute show were i think pretty necessary if it was just a bunch of kids um bantering back and forth it wouldn't be as good but um yeah can we, I do want to get into like, if we're going to critique this, I do want to get into it because yeah, I'm t- going to, I took away some things. Um, you, you go ahead, you get started. Cause I'm, I'm so, gearing up. So for me, 
no no children's comic, no children's um no children's animated show I think will ever surpass this. This is a genuine child show. It doesn't just have children. like it is for children. They can understand it. It's also for adults. They can understand it and gather some gather some things. I'm sure what you're about to mention is the commercialism. Because that is such a okay. Well, to me, no, that's go. what I, the, I kept taking away. From you go nuts. Me. Well, it was like, are you kidding me? This thing was made in '65, and and Charlie Brown, a depressant, is uh, talking about the commercialism of Christmas and how it's like taking away from the authenticity of the holiday. It's like, are you kidding me? That point was brought up in '65, like how Coca Cola had made Santa Claus red and white. It's like. What? They're fantastic. And and there's so much. Uh, the writing is so good, Eric. The writing is so good. Here, here's the thing. I'm going to get into it later because you're going to prompt me later and I'm going to go off on some on some rant about it. But I'm really excited to talk about it. You're going to go off on a rant? No. <laughs> really? So here, here's <laughs> Charlie Brown's character to me is so interesting because he's a child, but he's also depressed and he's looking for like very he goes around and he looks for reasons to be happy. He like he's trying to be happy, and I mean, and he's snapping at people. He's snapping at people. He yells at Violet for not sending him a Christmas card in a very sarcastic way, too. Now, yeah, he goes like, "Thanks, Violet, for the Christmas card," and then yeah. she goes, to, "She says to his face, I didn't send you a Christmas card. That's so rude. That's so that's so mean." Yeah, he's just a dick. And that's something that, that would sure. really make. No, he's not a dick. Charlie is the fucking best. What, what did Violet do to deserve that? She didn't send him a Christmas card. Nobody sent him a Christmas card. He's, he got left out by everybody. Because I mean, look at the way he behaves with people. I mean, if if that's he the tries. way he is all the time, then I don't blame him for saying, "Charlie, you're kind of a the bummer." The way he talks to Peppermint Patty at the at the uh, free therapeutic uh, at the five cent therapeutic. Oh, let's get into that. Thing. Lucy running the uh, running the the psychiatrist oh, yeah, table there. It's Lucy, not Peppermint Patty. Yeah, let's talk about Lucy. So she goes, he goes there looking for help, right? Which is fair. Mm-hmm. He he needs some professional help because he is depressed yeah. and he hates the holidays. And people do get depressed. He doesn't that. hate the holidays. He wants to be happy. He's, he's not like, trying. Everybody's right? happy anyway. He's, like, he's not happy. Let's let's we can agree that on that point. Yes. And he goes to get some help, which good for him. He you know it's Fantastic. good that he's doing some outreach and trying to you know trying to do some insight into what's bugging him. So she goes, she lists a bunch of phobias. Are you scared of heights? Are you scared of spiders? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So she, she goes through all these phobias. Maybe this is your problem. Maybe that's your problem, which is like the worst psychiatrist tactic ever. <laughs> right. Instead of asking yeah. him questions, she's just simply listing off phobias that he might have. Yeah. And then by chance, she fucking throws that dart and nails it right in the bullseye, which is you have a fear of everything. You don't understand Christmas. And the way to fix it is you need to get involved with some real projects and, and get some interaction with other human beings. Uh-huh. I was like, yes, Lucy is great. That is perfect. Yeah. And then she, in the next 10 minutes, she proceeds to fuck everything up and to abuse everyone. She literally <sighs> takes a swing at Snoopy. She, she puts up a fist and thankfully that dog is fast and he moves out of the way, but she went to punch Snoopy in the face, a goddamn dog. So how can you tell me 
you can how can how is that redeemable how can you wait 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 wait. this isn't charlie though this is all lucy i'm talking about lucy now this is now an episode of what the fuck is wrong with lucy she's actually That's gonna lucy. punch she's Linus. controlling she's gonna punch she's linus like if he doesn't read his lines yeah well linus needs to read his lines so violence is the way to to I I, I got five reasons why you need to why you need to read your lines. One, <laughs> one. You wait, I don't know what you right. You can't. I can't, can't do be it. Be a brute like Lucy is. Um, she calls for an early lunch break when things aren't going well. Like for twenty seconds, she's like, "That's it. We're going to lunch." It's like you kind of want to work through these issues. You're not going to get anything done during lunch. She calls herself beautiful. She has. She has. That's fine. Body a complete narcissist. Eric. She says, ba- yeah, she's a type she says a Beethoven wasn't great. She tells Schroeder, who's a huge Beethoven fan, that Beethoven know, wasn't great. That was rude. And I, I started listening to Beethoven right. while I was writing my notes. Fuck Lucy. Fuck her. Schroeder. Okay. She's terrible. She started out by, by trying to punch a dog. She lost me right there. I know. I, I didn't remember seeing that. I don't remember seeing that. Oh, you, so... don't, you don't remember the animal abuse? You missed that part? Well, I, you know what I did see? I saw Snoopy doing all kinds of cool shit. I saw Snoopy. He's skating on the ice. He's uh, skating on the ice. No skates, by the way. Just leading everybody in the conga line of ice skates. Yep. He's taking everybody through this musical number. Then he builds a first place doghouse with ornaments and lights. Then he's like, he's doing all of the. He's not. He he never got punched. I don't remember this at all. He never got punched. I I like he didn't get punched. He ducked out of the way. <laughs> what for? What was he doing? He did something to piss Lucy off, but he's a dog. Dogs sometimes misbehave. Yeah, but he was going to do great. He was going to be all the animals in the play. He was going to be like the a chicken. He was going to be like a, a cow. He's going to be a sheep. He's going to be all the animals in the play. It was going to be fantastic. I, I thought he was the one person who was doing his job. So I, I am not lying to you when I said Lucy swung at him. The fact that you can't remember what Snoopy did to deserve that. And by the way, he did not deserve any of that. But the fact that you can't remember that he did anything atrocious makes it even more outrageous that she was going to punch him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm out on Lucy on that, but that doesn't, what does that mean? That doesn't take away anything. You need a villain. You need some antagonist. Well, all his friends, his friends called him stupid and they called him hopeless when he brought back that shitty tree. I know, but that's what makes it so good is that in the end they didn't, they, they reversed, they went against it. They supported him and they were genuinely helpful. And and Here's, what what how did Charlie redeem himself? He took all of Snoopy's decorations off the number one winning doghouse and put it onto uh-huh. that tree, the, the shitty tree that Charlie got. It's not a shitty tree, Eric. That tree <laughs> means something way more than just a shitty tree. Do you it know, was shitty. Wait, you know the kind they of, told him it was shitty when he brought it back. So they're kids. They didn't. They don't know what they're talking the about. The only it's reason. The tree. only reason they they redeemed him is because he dressed it up with all with all of snoopy's decorations i know and that's a great that's a great observation eric this is what i'm talking about you need to get deeper into shit like this because one the tree is not just some shitty tree there's it's the only tree everything else is aluminum yeah, did you was, did you notice? Yeah, yeah that was crazy. That, that was, was weird, weird, right? Yeah, it was very weird. All the trees have been turned into aluminum trees. Why they were that, neon why yellow. That, that tree vendor need to even be outside if they're all aluminum. <laughs> they're not even real trees. He had the one tree. That's why he needed to be outside. He had one tree right. that needed to be outside. Right. He, he had all these neon yellow and neon blue and pink aluminum trees that like they knock on and it goes bong. And, and Charlie finds the one sapling, the one thing that can grow, the one beautiful alive thing and takes it he wants it to be his 
and throughout, yes. he's kind of killing it, right? You notice every time he moves it, pine leaves fall off. Right. Like, he's killing it. Yeah. And this thing that was supposed to be good, he presents it to them as like, this is our tree. This is what we're doing. Like, basically, he doesn't want the play to be commercialized. And so he takes this thing that's living, this thing that's not under their control, that's not man-made, that has a life of its own. And everyone shits on it. They're like, boo, you suck. What a terrible tree. Right. And he's like, oh, I'm so depressed. I need to make it like the other things. So he takes this tree, this life, and defiles it with the number one ornament things and the number one, the number one like treehouse ornaments, doghouse ornaments, hangs it all up. Um, well, they help, help out. They defile it. He comes back and he's happy now. Because he's accepted at the cost of this tree, at the cost of this living thing. It's so complex. There's so much to learn from this. It's not a good ending. It's not a happy ending. It's well, and so like, they were happy at the end. I mean, they they all yes, they were happy at the end. Everyone but at what cost? Worked on the tree. At what cost? They killed this living thing. Right. Well, I'm I, I'm losing you here. Now you're saying it it sucks that they sacrificed the tree for everyone's happiness. It, for Charlie's happiness. So Charlie's happiness is at the cost of like the nature of this tree. This like Charlie commercializes this tree yeah. for his own sake. Right. So we learned a lesson that, that commercialism is good. It's bad. Uh, I think everyone's happy at the end. I think it's good. Everyone is happy, but how long will that last? How many more things will we have to commercialize? <laughs> Charlie was, because they're complaining Charlie was about commercialization. At the beginning of this, this episode and he's really he happy was at the not. end. He was not. He was he's fine. not a happy kid. No, he's never a happy camper. <laughs> so the moral of the story then is if you're bummed, get a shitty tree, steal your dog's work, and <laughs> and then and don't uh, don't reprimand your friend if they try to punch your dog. And then he didn't see it. Um, make fun it's of your friends for not selling him, sending you cards. Um, oh my god! Can we talk about Linus's soliloquy there when he gave this the the meaning of Christmas? Super religiously charged. What, right? Really? I mean, like yeah. you know, it was a solid sixty seconds of of pretty touching Bible. spotlight on Linus. You know, do his little his little bit. But I tried to follow it. I couldn't. It was hard. Yeah, it was hard. I felt like Sunday school there. It was really that's strange. I just yeah, it's I that washed over me. I didn't get it. Yeah, I mean that wasn't about commercialism at all. That was just a religious. That's just straight tangent. religious. Yeah. Uh, preaching. So is it, I'm sorry, is the tree a metaphor for anything else? The tree is life. The tree is non-commercialized life, something pure, something innocent, something that shouldn't be defiled. That they hated when it was just a tree, but when they, they dressed it up in all the lights and fixtures, now they like it. Yes. I think it's, I think it's commercialism is good. Commercialism can save us and make us happy. No, that cannot possibly be the answer. All right. Because why would they even bring it up in the first place? So much of the, so know, much man. of... They, they, I couldn't get over it. They called him stupid and hopeless. When he brought that tree back, they called him. Oh, that's just sixties crap. <laughs> so that didn't age. That's well. what I see. Well, I, I that give didn't that age well. Okay. I, I give that the excuse of, yeah, it didn't age well, but I, I'll forgive it because it is something that uh, was aired a long time ago. Mm. Like you could just call someone stupid and hopeless and it would just be like, I'm pulling your chain, Charlie. You're not going to really be sad about it. Are you? They didn't understand depression. It, the, the term PTSD hadn't even like hadn't even begun to like mm. it wasn't a real medical term like they were behind in psychological like behavior so okay so i've i 
obviously I came to the show with a critical eye this time. I never really had, I kind of just dug the music in the past and I never really looked at these characters and their quote unquote journeys through this this 25 minute uh, epic saga. But so when you watch it again, you are taken by blank. What? When I watch it again yeah, after this? Like you watch today, you watch it this week in preparation for this podcast. What are you taken by? I'm taken by first the animation. Um, things are moving. They're layered on top of each other. I found that really interesting. I hadn't noticed that. I don't know how they did it. Uh, that just seems like it could be just a drawing, like in a drawing illusion. Like they create the illusion of 3D space or there is 3D space. Um, I noticed the language, certainly the age, everything that uh, – makes it seem like it was made and approved in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have it till 3.30. Uh, I notice all the different, like, um, sorry, that just threw me off. I notice, like, and then I notice uh, the underlying things. Like, I notice what's happening and then what that would mean if the if the writer is a smart is a smart person mm-hmm. like it's not just some children's cartoon to me it, there's no way a show like peanuts is just a bunch of mediocre people all doing the same thing churning out money like there's a deeper message that frankly is a sign of that time where like you could hide something as as like complex as we could have a debate about this fucking comic. Yeah. Like we can still do that in 2023. This thing lasts. It is built to last. It is in a way timeless. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I noticed is like, there's so much care. Like this guy, this guy who wrote it, uh, Charles Schultz, Schultz Schultz. is like, um, Oh, sorry. This person's coming in. You're losing your room. You have the two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wrapping this up. All right, we can wrap. First time hugging you, so which one is like one and which one is... Oh, this is one. You can just take this. I'll move my stuff out of the way. We can wrap. Okay. I want, so, I want you to watch I want you to watch Lucy try to punch the dog, though. That's fucked I will. up. I'll try to find that. That's fucked up. It kind of is, yeah. Um, okay. So that's Charlie Brown's Christmas special. Um, yeah, I'm glad I got my points out about it. Cause I really think like, uh, there's so much to do, like political and economic, like things to talk about. I, the commercialism thing, I, I don't know. I, I have trouble with the whole journey of that tree and how Charlie redeems himself. But, um, this is like analyzing an episode of Barney. It's like maybe you don't have to. It's just a kid's show to keep kids occupied. So this 57-year-old kid um, took issue with some of it is all. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm also very glad that we're, like, coming to different opinions about this. Like, um, just the, the fact that, like, <laughs> we, we can disagree on – what it's saying about the commodification of Christmas is is really interesting. Yeah. Like, there's no way that comic should be able to do that. But I think like it did and it, it had a genuine thing to say and it said something different to me than it did to you, which I, I'm honestly surprised. I thought you were going to be on my side here. 
I didn't I didn't know there was another opinion. I, about this, I guess but... I took the angle of each character's journey in this thing. And um, yeah. Lucy just needs to go away. They just need to move her off the off the crew. Lucy's fine. No, Lucy. she's not fine. She's not. I'm turning her ass into the ASPCA. That's bullshit. Okay. Um, I do want to say that yeah. uh, I do want to make some points about Snoopy and about uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Schroeder. Okay. So first of all, Schroeder goes from playing Beethoven's uh, Piano Sonata 14 to smooth jazz yep. like instantly. Yep. I found that really interesting. I love like that's just a tribute to the music. Like and again a reason that I think that like really smart people put this together, yep. not just like people who know how to make it good children's uh, animated animation. Also, Snoopy has like a kind of deal that's like uh, he does he does things that don't really apply to the situation. Like they're not driving a plot forward. They're just kind of what Snoopy is doing. Mm-hmm. Like in the end, his ornament, his ornaments on his doghouse are used. But like him putting that together is like something like out of the blue, right? Like it's kind of strange. And I think that kind of action has inspired like I'll, I'm going to make this claim. It's kind of inspired like a Hannibal Burris on the Eric Andre show. Like I don't know how familiar you are with it, but he's the Eric Andre is a host on his like celebrity talk show where he tries to make make guests like as socially uncomfortable as possible mm-hmm. so they interview for a really long time the room is hot it might smell weird there's like completely unexpected gags they have no idea what kind of like what kind of things like to expect and they're always being coerced back into like the interview like if they get up to leave and so what Hannibal does, what he does best is act outside of the scene. So, like, if Eric, if the interview is going on and it's on this topic, I mean, the best joke or gag Hannibal can do is, like, something completely unrelated. And that's a little bit of what Snoopy is doing. Mm. Like, Snoopy's whole, uh, you know, the World War II thing where he, like, that is a completely unrelated uh, plot to whatever yeah. they did it, like. When whatever was happening in that episode, so he's a disruptor. Not really. He's just he's doing something on his own, and he's his own character. He's kind of his own show in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I really find that fascinating. That like these uh, these creators put in a dog to like get around human social interaction, and then from there like let their creativity flow. So I found that I really <laughs> I just really enjoyed that. I don't know. Did you notice that? Um, yeah, I did. It's a great, uh, it's a great way to break things up and keep it lively. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a good, um, you know, it's a palate cleanser. You can move from scene to scene with nice Snoopy segues. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a very talented dog. He did not deserve, he did not deserve the violence that was, uh, that Lucy no, perpetrated know, I, I do feel him. bad. He, he, he was a victim. Dog lover here. I got, I got to take real issue when people start punching yeah. dogs. He's a victim. He did nothing to do. He did nothing to deserve being nothing. swung at. Nothing. It, if Lucy felt threatened because he was more talented, then you know Probably. that's her problem, not his. Fuck her. Yeah, she needs some therapy. She does. Some she needs her own. Therapy. That's right. She needs to be on the other side of that five cent yeah. table. Her and Charlie Brown need to book the first therapist available. And, <laughs> do you know what town they live in? Do they have a name for the town they live in? I do not know. Mm. <laughs> well, I, to me, in the end, like. Charlie is trying to find the deeper meaning to Christmas. To me, I think he thinks he finds it, but in reality, he's defiled Christmas. And um, I think that's really, 
it's, it really says something. And you think like uh, that he hasn't, that he has found happiness in Christmas, but I don't know. I think uh, consumerism, the commodification of Christmas is a, is a bad thing. And I don't think it should be celebrated. And I think he missed the mark with his, ha- where he found his happiness. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I would, I got a hit list of friends he should dump and, uh, <laughs> but that's for another episode. Well, Linus is my favorite, by the way. Who's your favorite? Linus was good. Uh, Schroeder was, I think he needs to be part of the clan for, for sure. He's great. He's, he keeps things rolling. Lucy. Oh, and Eric, just for some perspective, they call the guy who smells bad pig pen. Yeah. So uh, he's happy. Even Charlie Brown shits on pig pen. He's like, even in a snowstorm, you still kick up a cloud of dust. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like you're a dick get out of here. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really cruel. It was like, Hey man, you should probably use a bar of soap once in a while. Yeah, I wonder. He probably probably should. Snoopy can stay. Ping Pen can stay. Everyone needs the pig a big pen in the in the crowd. Yeah. Um, hell, you're in college. You probably know a bunch of big pens now. People <laughs> probably don't change their sheets for a whole semester. It's disgusting. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, that's it on Charlie Brown. I'm uh, I'm gonna try to calm down after the uh, the violence on animals that I just witnessed. Okay. Well, I'm sorry I made you watch that. Yeah. I didn't realize that would be in there. Maybe we'll watch the Thanksgiving I, I just, special. I just pulled up YouTube and said and typed in Lucy punches Snoopy. I got pages full of examples <laughs> that she she does battle with Snoopy a lot. So it's okay, not just Lucy that one thing. She just likes to fuck with dogs, and I got a problem. To with me, that. that's a sign of the times. I kind of excuse that. <laughs> All right. Well, no, not cool though. Dogs shouldn't be abused. She's not getting a Christmas card from know. me. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know why they put that in there. I wonder whose like decision that was to like make Lucy violent. It's weird. It was weird. Yeah, it does seem like a completely unnecessary bit. I guess I I guess to me again, sign of the times. Like that's how they treated dogs. They just like there's no way ASPCA to yeah, be like don't did, beat your it dog. Did not age well at all. Sure. No, that part didn't. But it is animated and it's a fake dog, so got that going for it. All right, that I think about does it um that was the holdovers and charlie brown or charlie brown christmas so (laughs) any final thoughts eric no enjoy these two pieces of christmas media and uh let us know what you think we have a new email address too uh, Mm -hmm. ben and eric's podcast at gmail.com give us recommendations oh and rate and review us on on apple on spotify on overcast please rate us uh, that's mm-hmm. going to help us get the uh, get the word out about this podcast too. Yeah. So rate, review, buy Dirty Sue, send us emails, uh, subscribe to our Instagram handle, and uh, boy, that's a lot of a lot of tasks everyone's got. A lot so of things get for on our it, audience people. to do. Yeah, we got to break it down for them. Just give them little sections of things to do oh, every yeah. time. All right. So that that about does it. See you later. Bye, Ben. Take care. <laughs>